from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 62. 62. 62 Whoa. of Whoa. Masonic Light Podcast. And if you're from Australia, you might know that we are one episode ahead of our friends down under. So Ooh. let's get to work, boys. Uh, I think Jack quit. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jack got a real job, I think is what happened. What so my, my, name, my name is Jack Harley. I am uh, past master of Ephrata Lodge 665 and a member and leader of various other tribes. Um, and uh, with us today are... Jason Lowe, Senior Deacon, Lodge number 43, and anything oh. else I can make eye contact with? Jeff Moyer, past Ooh. master of Lodge number 43, and filling in for Pete Ruggieri this evening. Oh. Larry Maris. And... And and Ted Chick and Ted Chick, Ted Chick is a professor of, of all kinds of crazy stuff at Muhlenberg College, and we will talk about that later. Larry, you're you're asleep. You're done. No, no. And uh, those of you who are watching on the interwebs, um, it's really comical to see Jeff Moyer trying to fill Pete Ruggieri's chair. He looks like Edith Ann. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Just call me repeat. So repeat. <laughs> All right. In in our lodge, we have three Todds. We have Todd, fake Todd, and retod. So uh, repeat is repeat works here. Um, so we're going to start tonight um, as we usually do, going around the horn, talking about what we did masonically for the last couple of weeks. And uh, let's see who should start the wheel of fortune. Let's start with Jeff Moyer. Okay. Uh, He's looking at his calendar. Yeah, I'm looking cheating. at my calendar. I can't remember what I did 10 minutes ago. Uh, I had a Constantine Conclave dinner last Wednesday in September. Eighth degree rehearsal at the Valley of Reading. I'm the degree master. Sooner or later, they'll wise up and get rid of me. Yes. Uh, initiated into Junto Council this past Sunday. You're here. Oh, uh, thank you. Huzzah. Attended Scarrett Lodge on Tuesday. And why did you attend Scarrett Lodge? Yeah, why? That well, would be unusual. Terrible program. Two reasons. <laughs> Scott Helm's been after me for the last year and a half of his tenure as worship master to attend a meeting, but uh, Jason Lewis was the speaker, so... What? Oh, my yes. God. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Yeah. Great program on the Odd Fellows. And Goose and Gridiron Breakfast yesterday morning, yeah. which great, we won't get breakfast. into because, great Larry, you're... This is a perfect segue to Larry. You're a schismist. <laughs> schismist. 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 Oh, schismist. Schismist. Is that correct? Well, let's ask the professor. Larry, Larry. Schismatic. 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 Larry Schismaris. I like that. I like that. So, Larry, tell us about your week. Well... Kind of, a, kind of a quiet week, you know, not a whole lot of <laughs> <laughs> uh, lodge meeting. Uh, it's a good thing we don't have a holy Bible last, in here. Last week, uh, Ghost and Gridiron. Uh, some other things I've been working on with uh, for our cause here, uh, but I'm not going to go into that. But the lodge meeting was enough to create a lot of things happening. Excitement. Excitement, yes. Indeed. Exploratory excitement. And, so and if you've ever been on a hike in the woods and stepped on a rotten log full of yellow jackets, that was Larry's week. So <laughs> I think it was referred to not as stepping on it, but something. Yeah. Stepping yeah. in it? Wow. They're going de to develop a pin for me. Uh, it's called a pissing on a hornet's nest pin. Oh, yeah. nice. Mm. Okay. Good, good, mm -hmm. good, good. Mm -hmm. All right. And everybody knows me. I'm a quiet, meek, and mild individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Jeez. Always yeah. reticent to speak your mind. Absolutely. Yes. Jason, what have you been up to? Well, as Jeff alluded to, I spoke at Scarrett Lodge yes. and uh, traveled with Jeff and uh, uh, brother Ken Hudson. I, uh, I, that day was long. 
I, I left Lancaster and I drove to Harrisburg. So for those of you that aren't from here, that was a hour long drive. And then I picked up Canada, Elizabethtown halfway on the way back home and drove to Scarrett, which was another hour and 20 minutes. And I drove Ken all the way home another hour and 20 minutes. And then I drove home another 30 minutes. So it was a long, long day. But the talk was good. Uh, I talked about uh, Oddfellows and Freemasonry. Yeah. What? You should have said you think the talk was good. I got confidence. I felt as though the talk was good. Yeah. yeah. Went now, well, it would be the... No, it was, it was excellent. Now, in all fairness, uh, I, was, I was the second string pick uh, because Brother Seth Anthony could not be there to talk about Oddfellows. So he wrote uh, the majority of the program, and I, and I studied and presented, and I asked him if I could interject my own slides, which all were... I thought were funny, and I uh, should have just left them out. But uh, <laughs> uh, the bathing suit slides did not go well. Oh. From what I understand. But it was a good kind. Con- and the reason that uh, Brother Helm wanted us to go down and talk about the Oddfellows is because Scarlet Lodge has the distinct honor of being the longest continuous operating lodge in a single building. So they haven't moved or anything. They've been there for 150 some years. Like most of our buildings, it's, it's an old Oddfellows building, and it still has some of the the remnants and artifacts of Odd Fellowship uh, in plain sight. They're right in the room. So it was pretty neat. Aside from that, I conferred the first degree for Lamberton last night. Uh, Brother Larry Hudson let me practice uh, some of the opening and closing, and uh, it was a fun night. So that's pretty much it. Awesome. Brother Ted, how about your week? Well, last week I attended uh, Lux X Tenebris Allied Masonic Degrees Council, and I think the uh, event that I went to before that was the uh, in-gathering right here in uh, Ephrata Lodge. Awesome. Well, um, we're happy to have you back, um, and now this time I'm actually conscious enough to um, hold conversation with you. When uh, when Ted was here for the in-gathering, I was under the weather, uh, but trying to pull it together enough to pull off the food and the entertainment downstairs. You were recovering, or you were visiting sciatica, I had, correct? Yeah, I was in the Greek island of sciatica. Yeah, it was not a happy day <laughs> for me. Uh, but since then, I have... Well, we had the Lodge in the Cave. I think we talked about the Cave Degree. And we had the Allied Masonic Degrees uh, Junto Council meeting on Sunday last where we uh, inadvertently inaugurated uh, Jeff Moyer into that council. And then then performed uh, a particular degree that's under the jurisdiction of the AMD Council. So go ahead, Jeff. You can you can talk. No, jump Jack. In. I, I want to compliment you on that stain on your shirt. Yeah, it's been there for fifteen, twenty minutes. I know. I, I thought it was slobber, but it's not. It's eventually going to evaporate, but <laughs> it's it's not going to happen for a while. But thanks for pointing that out to you know the three or four thousand people who are listening. Yeah, they're watching online. Yeah, they're watching online. Remember, this is a guy that's a guest tonight, filling in for Pete. That we only allow him to make a phone call now and then. <sighs> Once in a while, once in a while. Wow. So, uh, my, wow. but my my big event was last night. We went down. I took uh, four other guys from Effort Lodge down to Amicable St. John's Lodge in Cockeysville, Maryland. When I was master in two thousand nine, I decided it was important that we see the work done elsewhere. So <laughs> I picked at at random this lodge in Cockeysville, Maryland. It, it turns out they meet at the Grand Lodge in the basement in one of the small rooms down there. And they were having a festive board. And a special shout out to Bob Raskover, Raskovar, Raskover, Raskover, however Bob, however Uncle Bob pronounces his name. That rascal. That rascal, Bob. And uh, he is he is our new best listener. He has, he has binged the entire 60 episodes and uh, and I told him I'd give him a shout out. But uh, thank you for all of the warm welcome from all of the folks at uh, at Amicable St. John's. It was a great night. Um, a couple of people are just about waking up now, and it was uh, all around a, a good time. And our guys got a nice taste of what it means to be in uh, in Maryland at a festive board. So that was uh, that's been my couple of weeks. So Larry. Um, I don't know. They're holding up signs. I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, well, you know, one of the things I, I do, and, and, I, and I failed to do this, and I apologize. You do. When I was what, at. What do you do? What, what, <laughs> just listen to me, will you please? Yeah, there's oh, going to be a lot okay. of that tonight. Pray, pray silence. Oh, at, at the stated meeting on Tuesday, and I was gently reminded by. Uh, which stated meeting is that? The one at Lamberton. Thank you. The, the, the fun meeting that we had. Uh, they actually made a motion. 
uh, to contribute $600 to Masonic Light Podcast so that we could upgrade our equipment. So it passed. Oh, my God. It, so we do have a gift from them of $600. And uh, it was a great night, really, in, in, in that respect. So basically, we have a new mixer because of that. Yeah, and we'll get that uh, set up here shortly. Yeah. So I, I, I read um, a Facebook message or tweet or whatever the hell it was from the um, current master of Lambert Lodge. And, and he said it right. He said... Freemasonry is on the verge of a new communication technology, and we want to support Masonic Light's movement towards that new communication technology, and that was the reason why they did this, and we, we, we appreciate it beyond measure. And if any other lodges out there would like to do the same thing, <laughs> we would be really happy if you did that. But uh, in seriousness... Um, I, I think, and I, I told Brother Ted, and we can talk about this a little bit later after the first break, um, we are moving into a new era of Freemasonry. And I think, I think the new communication technologies are going to be a big part of that. So um, thank you. Um, thank you, Lambert and Lodge, for that. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of technology, did you know that the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge actually streams... What? what? Oh, yeah. What? Yes, I did. Oh, and we'll yeah, talk about actually. that after break. <gasps> after break. Larry. Break. Run. Why choose George J. Grove and Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove and Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning, to materials, to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. Welcome back, folks. Our guest tonight is uh, Dr. Ted Chick, well-known in Freemasonry throughout Pennsylvania. But I want to talk a little bit about him and then let him take over. Yay. Uh, Ted is the... Uh, Doctor of Philosophy at Muhlenberg College. Now, th this is really kind of neat because he graduated from Harvard. We have a Harvard graduate in this studio tonight. I mean, that's a first, probably be the last. So he graduated from Harvard with his uh, undergraduate degree, went to Brown University, another Ivy League school, for his doctorate. He's also author of several books, many books, actually, co-authored and authored. Ted, when he, when he screws this up, just jump in. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the books that he wrote was titled Doing Things, and you did that with another gentleman. Uh, doing Things in Philosophy, that is or, a really... Or, or doing, doing Philosophy, it's called. Doing Philosophy. Yeah. Did I write that down wrong? Get, doing get your facts. And there it is. Yep. <laughs> Here's your sign. Well, hey, we made it. We made it. Uh, that won't be it. the last mistake. <laughs> we made it 60 minutes. Wow. Another one which really the title really, really catches you is how to think about weird things, uh, which is a critical thinking for the New Age philosophy. And, you know, how, how, to, how to think about weird things. That's going to sell a whole lot of books. Now, this is probably a classroom book, right? Right, it's a it's a logic critical thinking textbook. Uh, okay, it's a critical thinking textbook, but the title alone, it could go mainstream really easy. Readings on <laughs> Ted also branches Damn out. Quiz. Oh, no. Ted also branches out and does like uh, he did one on the readings, and I think this is yours readings on the philosophy of science, which is again another very interesting title. 
and obviously they cost like $200 a piece, so I haven't bought them. Uh, uh, Ted also writes... Are we going to let our guests talk <laughs> yeah, at all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But wait, we were... Pete, we were, Pete, can we, we get Pete to call in? <laughs> oh, my God. We were talking about... We were talking at dinner night that Ted does some special things like the philosophy of Seinfeld, uh, The Matrix, some really interesting Tell things. us about that, Ted. Okay, yeah. Uh, Ted is the... Uh, today. Oh, all right. Larry, Just, today, okay, please. Masonically... Jeff, take the book from him. Jeff, shut up. Today. Jeff, please. Jeff, I mean... I, mean, I uh, listen to your crap every Thursday oh, morning. All right, all right. Uh, anyway, well, anyway, Masonically, he is a past master of the uh, Pennsylvania Lodge of Research and a fellow. Uh, he's also uh, Did a you a say fellow or Othello? Fellow. I didn't say Othello. Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge and a member of the Masonic Academy Committee and a member and I think past master of Kite and Key Lodge in Allentown, Pennsylvania. No, much, just a member, not a Just not a member, a past not member. a past master. Yeah. Well, how did you miss that? <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Ted, and uh, we'll start off. Tell us a little bit about philosophy and Freemasonry. How in the world does that work? Well, <laughs> I, I wish I knew. <laughs> Uh, this I know, I know nothing, right? I mean, I guess that's how that works. But, well, that's uh, philosophical, <laughs> philosophical, too, so. Right. Um, I, and actually, I guess it, what it was sort of the philosophical questions that got me interested in Masonry, as well as the fact that, uh, oh, I think I'm about a fourth or fifth generation uh, Mason. So the original schick that came over from Germany in uh, 1848 was a Mason. And uh, there's a lot of... Masonic symbols on his uh, headstone and um, so forth. A Mason when he came over or a Mason here? I I don't know when he became a Mason, okay. but he certainly uh, he, he certainly died a Mason. Uh, but I, spell, philosophically speaking, what got me interested in Masonry is uh, the connection to Pythagoras. So, uh, of course, uh, we all know about Pythagoras, and uh, we know that, uh, you know, his the Pythagorean theorem is... Uh, demonstrated on uh, the past master's jewels here in, in uh, our jurisdiction. And actually, what I've found out uh, is that in other jurisdictions, there's uh, lectures that go into great detail about Pythagoras's contribution to uh, Freemasonry. But, uh, you know, of course, Pythagoras is one of the great philosophers that ever existed. And uh, he had a secret society. And uh, so... Like Socrates, he never wrote anything down, and uh, everything that was passed down uh, uh, that we know about Pythagoras, we know uh, by word of mouth. And and so I wanted to see, you know, just how much of Pythagoras is still left in uh, Freemasonry, and so uh, I joined. And and how much did you find? <laughs> there there actually is a lot. Uh, there is some. There yeah. is some, especially in other jurisdictions. Do, do you travel right. much outside of Pennsylvania? Not a lot, but, uh, you know, I have traveled some. When you get into the other jurisdictions, you'll find some winding staircase and three right. five sevens right. and you all get, that get sort the of whole thing. Yeah. We have a three five seven uh, <clears throat> at the Allentown uh, uh, Masonic Temple, and that's because uh, the temple was designed by somebody from uh, Illinois, <laughs> 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 and so he didn't know about Pennsylvania Freemasonry. I never yeah. been to a meeting, but I'll design your building yeah, for right. you. <laughs> I know. First time I ever sat in Pennsylvania Lodge and listened to the Second Degree, I said. Something's missing here, mm -hmm. really. And I was raised in South Carolina, but we had the second, uh, we had the winding staircase and the liberal arts lecture, and it was probably one of the longer degrees yeah. back then. And thought, what what happened here? So, yeah. So when you when you jumped into Pennsylvania Masonry, how how old were you when you, <laughs> when you started? Were you, had you already started your career as a as a college professor? Yes, I so. Gee, I don't know. I was uh, late 30s, 40s, something okay. like that. Pretty typical for an adult man to jump in. Yeah. So how did that fit with your college curriculum at the time? Were you already teaching philosophy, or was this a, 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 a something completely separate from Oh, that? yeah. So I was definitely teaching uh, philosophy at the time, and, and I was very interested in uh, learning the Masonic connections, the Pythagorean connections, the whole bit. How, how do you, wh Where do you see it fleshing out? In, in today's Freemasonry? What what can we look at and reflect back on and see Peter Gora in uh, in the work? Um, well, I think that uh, his attempt uh, to understand the, the world through the use of reason is one of the fundamental uh, tenets of Pythagoras that, of course, uh, 
is present in all Masonic jurisdictions uh, uh, around the world. I mean, we are children of the Enlightenment, and one of the basic principles of the Enlightenment is that the way to acquire knowledge is by the use of reason, and uh, Pythagoras uh, thought, indeed, by the use of reason, we could come to know everything there was to know. And how did that work out for him? <laughs> well, you know, you know how Pythagoras uh, died, interestingly enough. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and of course, we don't know whether this is true because uh, everything we know about Pythagoras was written long after uh, he was dead. Um, but uh, if you wanted to become a member of the Pythagorean Brotherhood, uh, you had to turn over all of your earthly possessions to the Brotherhood and take a vow of silence for five years. And so then what you had to do is you had to listen to uh, all the different uh, uh, teachers talk about the Pythagorean uh, philosophy. And uh, the Pythagorean philosophy is that everything is made out of numbers, interestingly enough. I mean, that's where the geometry stuff comes in. And so at uh, the end of that five-year period, then you take a final exam. And if you pass the final exam, well, you're admitted into the Brotherhood, and, and uh, you can speak with uh, the other members, and you can even speak with the master. Um, if you fail the exam, uh, what they do is they put a gravestone up in their graveyard with your name on it, and they actually give you back twice what you put in. So here's a way to double your net worth by just being silent for five years. Larry, you're out. You can't have <laughs> well, so not going to work. <laughs> well, so anyway, what happened is one of these guys that had gone for five years failed the exam, and he was pissed off. Uh, and so he wanted to take it out on Pythagoras, and so Pythagoras was having dinner with uh, some friends, and, and uh, they went to a house and, and burned it down. And uh, they actually stabbed the people as they were coming out of the house, and Pythagoras figured out what was going on. He went through the window, but now to understand how Pythagoras died, you have to understand another aspect of Pythagoras. So um, he was a vegetarian, and he was a vegetarian that didn't eat beans, so I don't know exactly what, uh, uh, I guess he was a wheat German honey sort of guy. I'm not sure exactly what. Often what referred to as hungry. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's right. And the, the reason that he didn't eat beans is because he thought that uh, beans contained human souls. So if you. And we're still following this guy <laughs> 3,000 years later. Right. Thank you very well, much. I, so the next time you go to your salad bar, look at the little bean sprouts. Right? Don't they look like little curled up uh, fetuses or something like that? Right? Wow, so, no. So, <laughs> no more so jelly. Wow. <laughs> that Mexican I had for lunch is just not the same. So, anyway, he, I, you know, he believed in reincarnation and uh, uh, he believed that there could actually be souls and things other than animals. He thought that there were souls in beans. So, all right, you got that part of uh, Pythagoras. So, you got the scene here. So, uh, this guy is burning down uh, the house that Pythagoras is having dinner in. They're stabbing people as they come out the door. Pythagoras slides out the window, starts running down the streets, and they see him running down the streets, and so they start chasing him. You know, And so he runs, and I guess he was a pretty sprightly guy. He was doing okay until he came to the end of the street, and you know what was there? A bean field. Oh, no. oh. <laughs> so, oh, this is uh, too good. <laughs> so poor, poor Pythagoras, you know, didn't want to squash a bean, so he had to stop. They caught up with him and slit his throat. Oh, so, so some, a, something a, you don't learn in in uh, the Masonic. This lecture. is a cautionary tale for all you <laughs> vegans out there. Eventually, you'll be chased down to a bean field. Stop eating beans. <laughs> stop eating beans immediately. Oh, Outstanding. Geez. So. So I, I, I haven't studied Pythagoras, so I can't specifically speak to Pythagoras. Um, but you've also written some interesting things on thinking about thinking. Um, how to think about what is what was weird the, things. how to think about weird things, right? That um, would be how to think about Larry. How to, that would be <laughs> chapter three, Larry Maris. Um, how, how did you how did you come to write uh, a an entire book about about it. It, it. It's really how to think, right? It's more than how to think about weird things. It's how to critical right. thinking. So it's, it's critical it's thinking. Critical right. How to uh, how to evaluate evidence? How to evaluate claims? How to decide what's believable and what's uh, not believable, and so forth. And so, so I co-authored this book with uh, Louis Vaughn, who was actually the editor of Prevention Magazine at the time. And so, 
you may know Prevention Magazine from uh, the grocery store and so forth. And right at the checkout counter there. It's right next to Cosmopolitan. Yeah, that's the think, one. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to know which sort of ads would be legitimate to, to put in here and which sort of ads are not legitimate to put in here. And so he asked around if anybody knew if there was anybody that uh, could inform him about, you know, what makes something believable, what makes something unbelievable. And in fact, uh, uh, one of the people that worked for him was married to a sociology professor at Muhlenberg, and we had actually met at his house to discuss these sorts of issues, philosophy of science and all that sort of stuff. And she says, yeah, I think this uh, Ted Schick guy knows uh, something about that. And so... Uh, we, you know, talked about these sorts of things for a while, and, and after we had discussed it, we said, you know, maybe we should put this into a book. And so, uh, and so we did, and so that's how the book came into existence. And that's a textbook for a class specifically at Muhlenberg, or is it used elsewhere? No, it's in its eighth edition now. It's actually been uh, translated into both forms of Chinese. I didn't, and I didn't know that there were two what? forms of Chinese. There's a there's well, there's a short hundreds form. of forms. Yeah, of Chinese. <laughs> there's a short form and a long form. It's also been translated. Uh, into Japanese, and uh, apparently there's a bootleg copy in Farsi. <laughs> there you go. So, so I actually got an email from a guy at the University of Tehran in uh, Iran who wanted a, a copy of one of my articles that was not available on the web, and he said, could I please send him a copy? And so I, I sent him a copy of this article, and and, and then he and says, thank you for... Just, just so you know, Ted's under observation with Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. She's being watched. <laughs> That's Shh. right. And so then he uh, wrote back to me and said, well, thank you for sending me a copy of uh, your article. And, and we really enjoyed reading your book in Farsi. And so I called up McGraw-Hill and I said, well, you know, you didn't tell me that it has been translated into Farsi. <laughs> Not getting those checks? <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and they said... Well, we didn't translate it into Farsi. Oh, fantastic. Well, really? Yeah. So yeah. somebody bootlegged it so, in there. So there's a bootleg copy of it out there somewhere. Hey, that that's a testimony, though. I mean, as much as, you know, critically, you'd like to get your recognition and, and obviously payment for work done, but but it's a testimony that it's being translated into a language and into a country that is so closed to free thought. Uh, and discernment, and that's that's kind of a cool issue. Um, do you want to take a quick break? Yeah. And uh, all right, Larry says yes, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with more Ted Schick. So you know, Larry, one of the things I really enjoy when I'm waxing philosophical is a good glass of wine and a fine cigar. Yeah, me too. You know, you're, I, I actually, I could go for one right now. I could too. Where Where would you go if you wanted a good glass of wine and uh, a fine cigar? I, I would, right here in Ephraim, I would go to that phenomenal bed and breakfast. The Smithton Inn? Yeah, the Smithton. Because they're also selling Weathered Vineyards wines. That's right. And, and, and DNS cigars. <gasps> what? Yeah. So we could have both. Yeah, we could. And if we opened the window that would possibly be installed by George J. Grovenson. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, th those are people who contribute to our show, and we love you very much. Absolutely. So, Ted, um, I, I'm not – there's so many conversation strings that could come out of Ted Schick in a, in a setting like this. I'm not really sure where to go next because the rest of these plebs just don't understand the whole philosophical aspect of this thing. W what I guess he just put us in our place. <laughs> <laughs> but, Jack, where, where, where could we go to get some good Masonic philosophy education? Well, we could go to the Academy of Masonic Knowledge at, at Elizabethtown. Wow, imagine when, that. When That's is that it, happening? The 27th, Saturday the 27th of October. Saturday the 27th of October. Did yeah, they give us any money to plug their program? No. No, no they didn't. Ted, pass the word. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we will gladly take money from the Grand Lodge. Mercenary or some other uh, improper motives. If, if, That's if, what I know. If Pete Ruggieri's listening to this, no, we won't take any money from the Grand Lodge. Grand Lodge. We're, That's a fact. Yeah, we're, we're good. Right, no, Which we're good. Grand Lodge? Thank you very much. Well, the Grand Lodge of Hawaii, if they're, you know. Yeah, I think it's. So, so how do, what, what do you feel is the, the, the state of philosophical conversation in Freemasonry today? Well, if you look at the, the books that are being published on masonry, uh, I, there seems to be a, a fairly intense interest in uh, the philosophical foundations of uh, Freemasonry. And, and that, is it, is it on a broad scale, or, or do you, who do you think is, is participating in this? You know, this? it's is hard it? to, to gauge how uh, broad that is, but, uh, but I think one of the most interesting developments uh, is the result of research by people like uh, Margaret Jacobs into uh, how uh, Freemasonry is probably more responsible than any other organization for spreading the ideals of the Enlightenment and so forth. And, and uh, I, you know, I think that uh, it's those sorts of ideals that brought us together as a brotherhood, so those sorts of ideals that we still espouse to this day. And I, I remember going back to try to look at people who were doing dissertations on the influence of masonry, and, and there's a large number of them. And, and yet, the, it's almost wholly excluded from from what, let's call it secular history. Anything that's not Masonic in nature, uh, like basic history, there's no mention of the fact that that Harry Truman was a Mason outside of Masonic circles, or FDR, or really anybody, any of the you know any of the Masonic history is lost. Yeah, I mean, I, we even see pictures, of course, of uh, George Washington with his apron on, but uh, that and, you know, Ben Franklin's contribution, I mean, even those things are not talked about very much. Well, we are a secret organization, remember that? No, we're not. We have a, we have a float <laughs> in the parade. We're not a secret. <laughs> it's not a secret! No. Oh, you mean the parade that didn't take place? The parade that didn't that happen, okay. yes. It was very sad. We were very glad it rained, but that's a, a long story for another day. Um, so do you see a change? Do you see it moving anywhere? Yeah, I think I see people becoming more aware of the contribution of masonry to uh, you know, uh, the spreading of Enlightenment ideas, and especially in a time like uh, this where enlightenment ideas are under attack and so forth i think that uh, you know people are coming to realize the value of these sorts of things and and we hope that we can impress on some of the um, younger generation that's coming up through your classrooms that there's value in these kinds of institutions that they're not just old old guys who get together and um, i don't know what do people think us old guys do I didn't used to be an old guy. I'm an old guy now. I hate that. You are your grandfather, too. He I eat, am. You eat beans. And I eat beans. <laughs> but, Ted, but, I, go ahead. I have a question. Tell us a little bit about the philosophy of Seinfeld. I think our listeners would love to hear this. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, so as I say, so the philosophy of Seinfeld was the first book in the philosophy and popular culture series that was started by Bill Irwin at uh, King's College up in uh, Wilkes-Barre. And uh, he was uh, a user of how to think about weird things. And he came up with this idea, how about a book that deals with the philosophical issues on, in uh, various aspects of popular culture? And so uh, I get a call from Bill one day, and the first thing he says to me is, uh, I'll bet you're a weird guy. And I, <laughs> I said, well, you know... Uh, uh, that may well be the case. And then he told me his idea. He was thinking of doing a book on the philosophy of Seinfeld. And uh, was there anything about it that I would be interested in uh, writing about? And uh, I think, you know, the, the, the episode, the series had just ended. And, of course, the last episode uh, was about, you know, is doing nothing something. And so I said, well, you know, I think that there's some good uh, philosophical issues involved in that. And so I wrote... Uh, an essay on uh, the last episode in Seinfeld is uh, is uh, doing nothing something. Yeah, well, doing nothing is something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, that's what I do in retirement. <laughs> and it's but you know, it's all about uh, good Samaritan laws. I mean, so do we have an obligation to help somebody if, for example, we can help them without putting ourselves in danger? Exactly. So exactly. what is our what is our obligations to our fellow human beings? 
Now, I argued that, uh, yeah, indeed, if you can help somebody without putting yourself in danger, then you have a moral obligation to do so. But this is not a view that's uh, held universally, that's for sure. No, very true. Very true. So, Ted, switching gears masonically, you know, one of the things that you're obviously heavily involved in is the Academy of Masonic Knowledge, hence a a couple of our well-placed plugs. But uh, could could you tell us how you got involved with the Academy of Masonic Knowledge? Well, I guess it was because of my involvement with uh, the Pennsylvania Lodge of Research, and there was, uh, I was not an original member of the Academy of Masonic Knowledge, but uh, people knew that I was interested in these sorts of issues, and and there were some openings on the committee, and so I was invited to become a member of the committee and was uh, pleased and honored to to be invited, and so uh, I served on the committee and then actually served as the chairman of the committee for a few years. Um, And our goal, of course, is to try to bring Masonic scholars from all over the world uh, to Pennsylvania to share their knowledge uh, with the brothers. And, uh, and that's what we've been doing uh, since the beginning. That's right. And now we're uh, streaming this live uh, over the Internet, and uh, we not only filling up the auditorium in Elizabethtown, but uh, we're getting a lot of people on the Internet as well. I actually was traveling, as I said the other last night, to uh, Maryland. One of the guys in the car said, I've been going to this academy thing at Elizabethtown, I've been going for a lot of years, and when I first started going, it was there was like ten guys in the audience. Now I'm I'm fighting for a seat now, <laughs> and it's a big theater too. Yeah, that's it great. Is, it is recently remodeled and absolutely beautiful. By the way, if you haven't been there for a while, mm-hmm. it is unbelievable. And beautiful. George is now outside the uh, auditorium. That's right. That's yeah. right. Now to have it watch the streaming, must you register? No, I don't think so. No, no, no. You don't and, and I would assume that the registration at this point is to ensure that there's enough food and seats. Correct. Right. That's really right. more than anything Correct. what it's right. about. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, you, you did. So I don't have to register to, to watch no, it? No, you don't have to no. register to watch it. Okay. But um, cautionary tale, apparently I broke the system. <laughs> the other day. <laughs> you know, they, they, Why they am do I not their, shocked? They, they do the registration through Eventbrite. And I registered Four when times. it first came out. Well, then I forgot I registered, so I registered again. <laughs> and then just a couple of days ago, I keep getting these notices. And I guess I didn't register. I registered again. Well, the system is designed that you can only register once. Or not. Or not. Unless you're Larry. <laughs> so I broke the system. And it was no so noted by Brother Seth Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> and it made, it made the internet and Facebook and everything else. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, to say the least. So now they realize they have a problem with Eventbrite and their system. So. Thank you for helping them out, Larry. I, I, that was really I, big I was of you. I'm just more than happy to help. Always on the job, Larry. <laughs> so, how long have you been involved with Academy now? Gee, I don't know. Six, seven years, something like that, maybe? I joined four years ago. And that's when Master, I don't know if Master Builders was out before I came along, but Master Builders was, was a big push and obviously Academy of Masonic Knowledge or Lodge of Research. And I mean, ever since I've been involved, you've been kind of the master of ceremonies the, the day of the seminars. So is that, uh, is that your, your main role at this point or what, what do they have you doing? Right. So uh, I'm happy to do that when they want me to do it and I'm happy not to do it if they don't want me to do it. <laughs> so, to, to, I, yes, indeed. I first met Ted Several years before that, I, I, I joined the uh, Pennsylvania Lodge of Research when you were there. And I, I think you had – oh, Apostle Waite was, was the uh, Worshipful Master at the yeah. time. And I think you had already preceded him, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. And I, I got to know him in, in, a, in a Masonic way, but never really you know, sat and talked like we are tonight. Not, not in the biblical way. He, so. he got off easy. <laughs> anyway, so, and I've known him for a number of years, and then, of course, I gravitated to the Academy as well. And just let me say, and I, and I hope you say this too, Pennsylvania is very unique in having an Academy of Masonic Knowledge and a phenomenal logic. And he's part of it. You should all move to Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the PA Academy of, of Masonic Knowledge gets accolades from all over the world. I mean, and certainly when you had on our uh, uh, our, our contemporaries, the Masonic Roundtable guys, uh, that was, I mean, that was huge. And I think that that was the first time that it was streamed. Is that I think correct? That's, that's right. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I mean, their shows, and especially around that time, I mean, the, the comments were, were just 
pouring in from all over the, the country and the world, really, about how great that was. Well, I think our Pennsylvania Academy is also probably one of the top in the world right. as well. Uh, being a member of that and also a member of the correspondence circle for Coronati uh, in England. I mean, I went to their meeting in England, and I'm telling you what, Pennsylvania Lodge of Research is just phenomenal. Is that okay. the one you fell asleep? All right, we, we will establish that Pennsylvania is fabulous, and uh, yeah, everybody we, else should, we should. strive we should to be, be like us. So, Ted, um, tell us more about... <laughs> I was going to ask Ted. I'm getting nice. You, know, you met him years ago, according to Larry, but and yet you still showed up tonight. So I, <laughs> I tip my hat to you. <laughs> oh my gosh! So Ted, as Jack led into the next question, um, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know Jack. where I was actually going, but thank you, Jeff, for uh, for for separating that out. And uh, I'm going to have to make this up as I go along. Um. So apparently you're not aware that as a professor at Muhlenberg College, you have a 4.7 rating at rateyourprofessor.com. So you, you told me that. I make a practice yeah. not to read there, that. There was, there, was, there was one review that said, this guy is a god. <laughs> so, oh, I, swear to, I swear to you, you it's, on, it's you on the website. You shouldn't say stuff It is like so on the website. Um, so... What, what is it about your class that you think people enjoy to that level? Um, because I, I went to college many years ago, and, man, not so much. <laughs> well, see, I, so we have these evaluations that students have to fill out at the end of every semester, and I can't say that uh, I'm all that impressed with those evaluations. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know what evaluations you're looking well, at. Well, apparently the online world has it very different. So what is, what is your class like at Muhlenberg? What, what, um, I, I don't know. So it's, you have... uh, you know, it's a combination of lecture and uh, discussion, and so... Uh, the way that you learn how to critically think is to get your ideas out there and uh, let people uh, take them apart. So talk more, uh, if you would, a little bit about that, um, because a lot of us who are now Masons and have been Masons for a while and are starting to awaken to this idea of critically thinking, um, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of new, right? Um, I think I, I told you before the show, I just finished, or I'm, I'm finishing a book called How to Read a Book. Uh, which was written in the 30s, uh, but it's it's changed the way I read a book now. And how do you think has to be the same kind of thing? So how how do you teach your students? Right. Although you know it is uh, logic is one of the original seven liberal arts. Right. So it's been around for a while, and so. But, is, but it's not taught so much anymore. I mean. Right. In, well, in, in every philosophy class, every philosophy department has uh, has a logic course and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, we used to divide these courses into what we called formal logic, in which you would actually do proofs of the sort that they do in mathematics, except there would be letters. There would be P's and Q's and R's instead of numbers and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so logical proof follows a, a very particular form, and you have to learn the forms, and you have to learn the ways that you can transform one string of symbols into another string of symbols and so forth. And So this is what uh, computer languages, for example, are based on. So most people who go into computer science are going to have to take a course in logic because uh, that's that's what the computers do, is they logically manipulate symbols. And uh, speaking of symbols, <laughs> do we have anything from our uh, our resident symbologist tonight? Do we? Yeah. Oh well, let's go. To I think we do. Well, let's go to break and we'll hopefully listen to that. We'll listen to a symbol. Unlocking Symbols by Symbologist Michelle Snyder. Michelle Snyder. The Golden Key Unlocked. Once there was a young boy who lived with his poor mother on the edge of the woods. In the winter, he had to go out into the forest and fetch wood for the fire. One very cold day, after looking for a long time, the boy decided he should build a small fire and warm himself a bit before returning home. Digging into the snow for sticks, he discovered a golden key. 
Where the key is, the lock must also be, he thought to himself, and dug down into the cold dirt. At last, he discovered an iron box, but no keyhole could be seen. After examining it closely, he found a very tiny hole. He put the key in, and it fitted perfectly, so he turned it to open the box. Symbology is like this golden key. Symbols hold within them secrets, which are easily found if one has the right key. When the key to decoding symbols is learned, for it is not a physical key, it unlocks all sorts of good things. Keys are in themselves symbolic of mystery, secrecy, discretion. A key can indicate ownership or release. Because it both locks and unlocks, it represents the bearer's power to confine or set free. They represent the way in or the way out. The key to the city is given only to the important and powerful. The key is a symbol for Janus, the god who sees all past and future and guards the gate into the real world. With his key, he opens the door of the sky to release dawn. Keys can represent forbidden knowledge or authority. If there are three keys, they symbolize the number of secret chambers full of precious objects, those of initiation and knowledge. In Masonic symbolism, the key is often to the jewel of the office of the treasurer. So you see, the golden key which the boy has found and with which he opened the box will change his wretched life if he understands what is inside the opened box. That the box is iron and the key is gold tells us so. To obtain the key to the world of symbols is not a simple nor quick process, but it is truly golden, for it opens the box of history and mystery. The first lesson of the key is to know which lock it fits. Like the written word, symbols must be understood in the context of their use. That is, discovering the who, what, when, where, how, and why it exists. And they must be compared to other symbols that are the same or similar. Once the key is found, the realm of mysteries and myth will whisper its secrets to the one who matches the key to the lock. Mythology, folklore, fairy tales, and poetry also contain symbolic language into which to fit a golden key. Next time, we will unlock secrets in the fairy tale, Snow White. Good news, everyone! Masonic Light News. News not fit to print. In Masonic News Today. The craft was thrown into great confusion when a Grand Lodge of Arkansas discovered a slice of unmasonic bread on the third floor of the Grand Lodge of that jurisdiction. Masonic charges are pending those responsible for this heinous act, and when discovered, they will be masonically dealt with. That's the Masonic News so mote it was. Uh, so, so we just listened to Michelle Snyder, who uh, so graciously uh, has uh, provided us with some uh, tidbits of symbology. And we'll, we'll post a link to the old episode that she was on, which was absolutely phenomenal, uh, to quote our friends in, uh, in Australia. So crushing on Michelle, by yeah. the way. Oh, all, all still, that was a great, stuff great show. Do you remember all that? And we, uh, we heard the, uh, oh, we heard the news. About some unsanctioned bread. I don't know where. <sighs> no, stop. I don't know where that inspiration came from. I don't know. See, I thought you wanted me saying we're back with Ted, and he was going to start with. Oh, his... you think it was that easy? No, no, you were. That's all right. Me. That's all right. Repeat, Jeff. Jeff, it's okay. We'll dock your pay. It's okay. it's fine. So we're oh, still okay. we're still right. here with with Ted. Uh, give me the keys to the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. This is falling so, apart. So so I'm gonna no I'm gonna I'm gonna take over the Ted side of this because uh, yeah, we're gonna have it. He and I are going to have a TED talk. How about, how about, okay. how about a TED talk? How about, a TED yes, talk. a TED talk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> how about he brings us back and t- thanks, Michelle. We're already back, We're already Larry. back, Larry. Larry. Look, it's, look at the screen. I oh. got you a screen to see what's going on. So, I didn't know Ted, it's important that you understand that this oh, is the cutting edge of Masonic communication technology. <laughs> the edge is dull. Okay. That's, yeah, it's like beating on a rock. It's terrible. So uh, during the last break, we, we kind of talked a little bit. I, 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 I fancy myself a, a sort of philosophically inclined. I'm not a philosopher. 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 But I do think about You're thinking. You're a philanthropist. I'm a, <laughs> don't start with me. So, but I can't even pretend to, to think um, 
logically about things the way you're talking about thinking logically about things like like it, in in referencing computer code and and you know philosophy and computer code being similar and i know you wrote a book about philosophy in the matrix and i mean i can't even i can't even start to wrap my arms around that how help me as a as a layman to get my arms around that where where would you tell me to start thinking about that well, so I don't know if you want to start thinking about uh, formal logic, but uh, you use logic uh, all the time. I mean, so when you try to figure out where your car doesn't start, where you try to figure out what that uh, noise that you heard was and so forth. I mean, so there's a, a procedure that you use. It's called inference to the best explanation, and uh, you do it naturally. And so all our book tries to do is to try to hone uh, those sorts of skills that uh, we all learn uh, from birth. You know, how to, how to decide you know, what's reasonable to believe, how to decide what's not reasonable to believe, how do we decide what's a good explanation, how do we decide what's a bad explanation. So we don't, you know, the formalist stuff is important, and of course you do need to know it if you're going to write computer code, but uh, to get, a, get along in the world, you don't have to necessarily know the, the symbolic form of this sort of stuff. You just have to know how it works. Is it natural for us to think that way, or, or do we have to think above our natural selves in order to think through that sort of logic? Right. Well, that's, that's a great question. And indeed, we do have to think through ourselves because we all use what are called heuristics, which are like rules of thumb, which we use to come to conclusions when we're you know, faced with uh, certain sorts of evidence. But some of these heuristics, and although they often will lead us in the right direction, they can lead us astray. And so one of the things that the book tries to do is to make you acquainted with the sort of uh, heuristics that we use to reason about uh, everyday affairs. Realize when those heuristics can go wrong so that uh, you can catch yourself before you fall into a trap. And, and you've used the word heuristics five times. <laughs> I was counting. Help me break that down for me. So heuristic is just a, a rule of thumb. It's just sort of a, a, a principle that we apply to uh, things to help us make sense of it, like uh, the representativeness heuristic, like causes like. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. So, Jeff, so, jump right in. Okay. <laughs> and, we're, and we're back, Ted. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so heuristic, to me, is intuitive. Yeah, right. So, the, okay. so we, we have sort of intuitive... Uh, rules of thumb built into our cognitive apparatus that helps us make sense of the world, but they don't always work. I mean, like the representativeness heuristic, which says that like causes like. And so when we see one thing like another, we might say, for example, infer the same cause. So for a long time, people thought that uh, ulcers must have been caused by stress or tension because the sort of feeling that you get in your gut uh, when you're tense or under stress is sort of similar to the sort of feeling that you have when you have an ulcer. Sure. Uh, that uh, comes from the representativeness heuristic, and stress has nothing to do with ulcers. And it is 100% wrong. Yeah, it's 100% wrong. <laughs> ulcers, ulcers come from a bacteria. It has nice. nothing to do okay. with stress. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, we're just so used to making those sorts of connections between things, that, uh, and they usually work, but sometimes they don't, and it's good to know that these sorts of principles are at work, and once you're aware of them, then you can avoid making mistakes. And those logical assumptions have been with us for thousands of years, right? right. Aristotle was this, the best example of erroneous logical assumptions that we followed for thousands of years. Right. Well, Aristotle's things were not uh, sort of these built-in cognitive biases. He, he had some actual theories about the world which were just mistaken. Right. But um, but we followed them forever. And, but we and yeah we did follow them to forever. our detriment <laughs> in just, many cases. And I'm sure that there are still a lot of people out there who think that heavy things fall faster than lighter things. Sure. And that's what <laughs> Galileo proved wrong. That's that's when Larry fell down off the dock in <laughs> Amsterdam, I think. So you know, uh, Galileo actually never threw anything off the leading tower of Pisa. So he was actually able to prove Aristotle wrong simply by performing a thought experiment. Wow. And that was, <laughs> wow. So uh, he reasoned, so he's sitting in his easy chair there, and he says, now suppose we got a cannonball and suppose we have a musket ball. So you would think that the cannonball would fall faster than the musket ball. And people think that, well, what he did is he went to the top of the Leaning Tower of Pisa and he threw them off and they landed at the same time. No, he didn't do that. He said, no, I tell you, th think about this. He says, suppose we take a cannonball and we attach it to a musket ball by a rope. Okay, and then we throw the cannonball musket ball system 
uh, off the leading tower of Pisa at the same time we throw just a cannonball by itself. So you have the picture, we got a cannonball muscovol system and just a cannonball. And so the question is, which is gonna fall faster, the cannonball or the cannonball musket system? And so what Galileo pointed out is that, well, you would think since the cannonball muscatball system weighs more than the cannonball alone, that the cannonball musket system would fall faster. But then Galileo realized, but, you know, the musket ball is going to be a drag on the cannonball in the cannonball musket system. And since that drag is going to make the cannonball musket ball system fall slower than the cannonball, it's going to be the case that the cannonball musket ball system is both going to fall faster and slower than a cannonball alone. Galileo realized that that was impossible and modern science was born. And he never had to leave his armchair. Okay, when we're all done here, can someone sweep up my brain and uh, just carry it out to my car, please? So I've actually been to Venice, and, uh, or Pisa, Pisa, right. Pisa and, and I've also been to Florence, and I've been to the Galileo Museum. Right, and I have too. And I, and I saw the, like, the, the ball rolling down the ramp right. thing, and, right. and, and, and uh, my head exploded there too. Did you see uh, his so. little finger encased in oil? Did. <laughs> I did. I thought of Larry Maris at the time. Yes, I did. They, they preserved that. <laughs> yes, Larry, it was that finger. Yes, it was. That, that, was a, uh, that was a wave to the local authorities at the time. So uh, is there anything that you would like to contribute, something you'd like to add to this mess that you've been a part of tonight? We No, I think I, you've covered my books. I don't need to do any more. Shameless, Shameless promotions. Oh, yeah. no, do it. That's why we're here. That's, no, uh, that's all right. Attend the Academy of Masonic Knowledge. We've got uh, two great speakers. And when would you say that that Academy of Masonic Knowledge is going to happen? October 27th. And that would be what day? Saturday. Saturday, Saturday October 27th. You know, at the Masonic Village. At where, where is that? Cultural like? Center at, at in, in Elizabethtown, in Elizabethtown Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. All right. You know, Ted, we should just take a brief second to talk about the scholar program, uh, you know, through Academy of Sonic Knowledge. Uh, could you yeah, tell us, could you give absolutely. us the, the, the 60-second pitch I'm, about how that works? I am one. Yeah, so, so Larry... He was probably, talking to Ted, not So I'm actually either. not a Masonic scholar, so... Uh, really? So, yeah, okay. so Larry could probably give... Well, a, I'm a level one. I never went to two and three. Yeah, three, although, three is when you get to call believe yourself... Believe it or not, I You look like number one to us, Larry. ...years yeah. ago. I was thinking writing like it up two. is just... <laughs> Go back to sleep, Larry. Dude, okay. But I think we are one of the few jurisdictions. In fact, I'm not aware of any other jurisdiction in the country that has a, a program like that. And so it's an opportunity to study masonry and uh, to get recognized for uh, the amount of studying that you've done. Uh, there's three different levels. And then to, to get a Master Masonic Scholar recognition, you actually have to write a little dissertation on uh, some aspect of that. And... Uh, one of the original plans was is that uh, the people who have gone through the Master Masonic uh, program and have written their dissertation can then give it at the Pennsylvania Lodge of Research and can have it published in the transactions. All right. Time time. I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. I, I did the reverse. I did the dissertation at the Lodge of Research, and I'm allowed to use that dissertation when I finally get my paperwork in for level three. There you go. That said, you have to be a Pennsylvania Mason to participate in that program. Right, right. We, we just don't have the manpower to. So anyone from outside of Pennsylvania who would like to become a, a Pennsylvania Mason, um, that's, um, you know, EffortaLodge665.org. <laughs> just, just drop us an email. You're good. But we'll, I, we'll now, now they can visit the actual academy by letting us know they're coming. They don't have to be a member. You have to be a master. Oh, absolutely. You don't even have to be a master Mason. It's open. And they can but stream. Just let us know who's coming. And they can stream it on the and internet. And you can go it. online to PA Academy of Masonic Knowledge and register. Yes. Now I would very solid. like to mention that if you, even if you are out of state, and even if you don't have an interest in participating participate in the program, which is you know it's it's a series of book reviews and educational programs, and you tally your points and you get your level, and then when you hit the the master scholar level, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're eligible to wear a jewel to all your Blue Lodge functions mm -hmm. and show that off. But there's a series of recommended readings that's actually quite an extensive list of Masonic readings. So if you are listening... Where can we find that, Jason? You can find it at the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge's website, which I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I will put it in the show notes. Boom. Well, Ted, 
Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Will you come back? It's been fun. Absolutely. Wonderful. Wow. That's, whoa, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't ruin Ted. Yay. We, uh, I guess we should think about going home. But before we go home, we should uh, say thank you to some of our valued listeners, right? And our valued we advertisers. Have li- yeah. we, have li- we have listeners? Well, well, well thank well, you to all of our listeners, well, obviously. What we, what we do is also, I think we brought it up earlier in the program. We want to thank Lamberton Lodge for that gracious, magnificent $600 contribution. And, and, and I think in addition to that, and, and that is fantastic, and they recognize what, what it is that we're trying to do, and that is bring in a new communication technology to the fraternity. Um, if your lodge, as you're listening to this, um, might consider this, please feel free Jump on our Facebook page. Jump on our website, um, uh, MasonicLight.org, I think, is our Facebook page, right? We have a GoFundMe. Our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is uh, Our, our, our web, website is uh, www.MasonicLight.com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Yep. And make sure you visit uh, Masonic Scarves because uh, Pete's running a nice program. Uh, it, uh, you can uh, donate to Masonic Light and get a scarf, so that's wonderful. Also, GoFundMe. We're up and running with that. And we do have a GoFundMe page. That is true. Yeah. So anything you can do to help us out, we appreciate it very much. It does cost. Um, I, I, hate we say, not, I hate to say, I hate to be like PBS, but it costs money to make this program. It though. does. Um, yeah, we have monthly know, expenses. We got to pay people like Ted this ridiculous yeah, fee I mean, to come here, and we got to pay his airfare and his hotel. Ted, thank Ted, thank you for coming very much. Thank you for uh, having me. Very enlightening. Uh, just look forward to just picking your brain a little further. Um, because mine is empty. So, but we're not done yet. What? No, we got to talk about what's going on, and then we got to talk about going home. And we got to go bring the chickens in. All right. So, Ted, why don't you tell us what's going on in your Masonic career coming up in the next couple of weeks? I'll be attending uh, Kite and Key Lodge, uh, number eight hundred eleven, traditional observance lodge in uh, Allentown, uh, PA, Ooh. third Wednesday of. Uh, each month. And a, a, cool. new, a new date change, right? Right. It used to be the fourth. They changed nice. it to the third. Wonderful. Check Larry, out. Oh, Larry what do you got going on? Thank you, Larry. Hey. Uh, Jeff, what do you... <laughs> well, uh, can I go, Larry? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so, so tomorrow, uh, Lodge 43 is conducting a one-day class for... Is it 11? Yep, yeah. and by the time you hear this, it would have already happened, but so that's okay. So it'll be 11 uh, first responders, but there's some others. Police, first police. responders. So... Uh, Sunday, I have a 14th degree rehearsal at Valley of Lancaster. I'll be there with you. Tricolor Lodge, Monday night. Lancaster County, Scottish Rite Club of the Reading Consistory, Seafood Night, Tuesday night at Shady Maple. <sighs> Lodge 43 stated meeting, my first meeting I'll attend since January. Wow. Eighth degree rehearsal Thursday night. And then Friday, October 12th, the Valley of Reading's holding their feast at Tishri. Larry, you're my oh, yes, one of I'm my going. three personal yeah, guests. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm off for about a week. I'm going up to Deerfoot for a week of archery hunting. So there you go. How about you, Jack? Your wife going with you? For me, no. Whoa. Got stated meeting on Tuesday. Um, Effort of Lodge six six five. Come out and see us. Dinner at six. Meeting at seven. We are um, having our uh, Lodge Memorial evening where we are recognizing the 400 Masons who have passed away uh, since our last Memorial evening in, in uh, October. It, guys, it is, uh, we are at the peak of losing the baby boom. So um, keep that in mind at your fraternity. Um, there are widows and orphans who need your help. So um, just, uh, just consider it. Um, it's what we're doing at our meeting on Thursday. We also have an entered apprentice uh, who will be joining the fraternity on Thursday following. So beyond that, I have no idea. My turn? No. Yes. Uh-huh. Go. Well, I'll be at the majority of the events that uh, Jeff has talked about with our Blue Lodge because we're in the same Blue Lodge. However, if you were hoping to come visit, if you're local, uh, just keep in mind that those things already happened. Catch us next month by the time you, you hear this this episode. Uh, but some things that are coming up, obviously, October 27th, we have the Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Uh, visit the uh, Pennsylvania Grand Lodge or the PA Academy Masonic Knowledge website. We'll have those in our show notes. 
the day after, October 28th, the uh, 42nd Masonic District is doing their uh, Gettysburg degree, uh, which got rescheduled. So there may be some tickets uh, left over uh, for that because of the rescheduling. So, you know, you can reach that by the uh, 3rd Masonic District in Pennsylvania. The... Uh, at the Reading Masonic Center on November 10th, uh, thanks to our listener, Steve Shimp, he uh, asked if we could plug this, so here we are. Uh, they're having a casino night to uh, benefit their Children's Dyslexia Center. and That's th- the 7th Masonic District. Oh, I read that wrong. The 7th Masonic District Chips for Charity event, and the proceeds to benefit Children's Dyslexia Center. November 10th, 2018. Of course, looking in the future, in December, we have the Grand Lodge Pennsylvania Quarterly, which is always a fun event, but it's a, it's extra special because it will be in our backyard. And What? Yep. Yeah, and we have the Lancaster Lodge of Perfection Reunion coming up, and uh, also we have that in Reading and Harrisburg and all of our uh, respective valleys. So if you are looking to join the Scottish Rite, it's typically... Um, reunion season in the northern masonic jurisdiction uh, at least so i think that is october 16th for lancaster october 16th so uh this show will be out uh, hopefully in time to to hear that and then uh, we have november 16th and 17th uh, in several jurisdictions or several valleys in pennsylvania Ted, are you in the valley of valentine uh, yes i am wonderful and that your reunion is First week of November sometime. Yeah, actually. I don't, yeah, I don't I think either. I think they have theirs the first Saturday in November. Right. I, don't quote me on that, but I right. I love reunions. <laughs> yeah, by the way, Larry, uh, I have to get your get you an eighth degree ritual. I'm, I'm waiting, yeah. Once you get transferred officially to yeah, Reading. Well, I'm well everybody, welcome Larry back to the Scottish Rite. All is kicking and screaming. We finally got Welcome him. back, Larry. <laughs> Andy accidentally joined a Chapter uh, yes, in I York. Did. Right? Yes, yes, he did. I did. <laughs> yes, I did. That All check, right. That check cleared, yeah. Well, we should pause in our deliberations so we can cue the chickens. Uh, special thanks to Effort Lodge 665 for continuing to make this studio available to us. Heck yeah. Uh, thanks to Jason Lewis, our producer, who always makes the show listenable. Hell of a guy. And as Ted Schick can attest, you have no idea what goes on here during this recording Such session. Such a mess. Oh, yeah. And when on. he listens to it, he's going to be greatly surprised. <laughs> Special thanks to our news director, Jack Harley, who can always pull a rabbit out of his hat. Uh, Our uh, Masonic Light podcast complaint operator, Xavier Breath. And uh, also, two, two. uh, Oh, that's a win. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, Anyway, I I, I do appreciate it. We, We did go back to our old law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. And they gave us a good price, and we're not going to ignore it. And we may have a, we may have some need to use them <laughs> shortly. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I listen. Uh, thanks for listening. This is Larry Maris, Jeff Moyer, not Pete Ruggieri. Repeat, Jeff Moyer. <laughs> Pete, we miss you. This is Jason Lewis. We love you, man. It's Jack Harley. See ya. And Ted Chick. There he is. So do you guys have a way to gauge how many listeners you have? Oh, don't answer that, Larry. (laughs) So according to Larry, we have 47,000 listeners on three planets. Oh, okay. Here's George Jetson. (laughs) According to SoundCloud, we have a measurable... You've been listening to the Masonic Light Podcast with brothers Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, Jason Lewis, Jack Harley, and me, your dulcet-toned announcer, Brian Hill. Listen to all our episodes on our website, www.masoniclight.com, or via your favorite podcasting service.